It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours. Going until 11 a.m. Eastern. Very excited to be with you on what is a gorgeous, very spring-like day here in, uh, or I should say on Long Island. So if you can feel a little extra pep in the step, that is the reason why. And also, because hopefully we have a, a fun, entertaining, thought-provoking show for here uh, for you here for the next two hours on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As a reminder, we're coming to you live, as we always are, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, all three. Check it out at Big Italy Pizzeria um, in person in Medford, <laughs> Joe's Pizza in Bayshore, classic New York pizza joint in Bayshore, or online at BigItalyPizza.com. A jam-packed show for you this morning. Matt McGloin, alma mater of yours truly, went to the greatest university that this great country has to offer in Penn State. Just my humble opinion, non-biased opinion. Also, six-year NFL veteran quarterback. He'll join us in 40 minutes from now, or actually about 35 minutes from now, if you want to get really exact. He's a quarterback in the NFL. How much power, should we say, does a quarterback deserve within an organization? Obviously, as we see Aaron Rodgers feuding with the Packers, we've seen Deshaun Watson feud with the Texans, and we've seen also Russell Wilson voice his frustration with the Seahawks. Are they right? Are they justified? Or are they stepping out of line? We'll get Matt's thoughts, as well as talk about now that we are a week away or a week past the draft. Five quarterbacks run the first round. How do they fit with their respective teams? Any quarterback not taken in the first round, can we see have some success, be a surprise starter, and kind of, you know, get a leg up on if anyone outside of the first round, we should be keeping an eye on. Matt will join us again, 940 Eastern, to talk about that. We have NBA fact or fiction. What is true, what is false, as we get ready for the playoff, just about two weeks, a uh, week and a half away, we'll say, um, from right now. How much power, like we'll get into that conversation, how much power does a quarterback do have? We'll, we'll discuss that first before we get Matt's thoughts as well. But I do want to start with, again, Aaron Rodgers. And I do want to start with some in, an interesting thought that I guess has been percolating in my mind more and more. So if you remember, if you listen uh, on Monday, but if not, I'll let you know. So we had Joe DeLuisio on Monday's show. He is the host of the Sharp Cheddar Podcast, a Packers podcast. He is a Packers fan. He, he is in the media as well. So he was able to look at this from really both perspectives, a fan perspective and a media perspective. And we were kind of talking, hey, you know, what's the future of Aaron Rodgers? And I said, is he going to get traded? Is he going to sit out? Is he going to play? Joe believes he's not going to get traded this year. He's not going to play for the Packers. He believes Aaron Rodgers for 2020 will sit out this season. And I could not believe it. We've heard the retirement kind of thought being thrown out there over the weekend. Hey, you know, he has jeopardy. If he's not liking what the Packers give him, he could sit out this year. Now that, uh, you know, that's, we, we've heard retirement as a threat before. I'm not going to truly take it seriously. This guy's coming off the MVP. He's not going to be sitting out 2021. So Joe kind of put, first put the thought in my head of, hmm, 
maybe, you know, he's on to something here. Maybe we should be considering this more than I was personally. I thought there was a 0% chance. So now I start to think about it. Now I start to chew on it. So, you know what? Maybe he actually could. No one kind of, and seeing how Aaron Rodgers is. And then we heard someone else talk about the future of Aaron Rodgers, and that is Brett Favre. You would think, hey, someone who knows Aaron Rodgers just a little bit being on that Packers team and obviously going through all uh, everything he did go through with Aaron Rodgers. He was drafted to the Packers and then sitting behind Brett Favre for three years. So Brett Favre, on his Bowling with Favre podcast yesterday morning, that dropped yesterday morning, he offered his opinion on what Aaron Rodgers will do in 2020, uh, in 2021. Take a listen. Knowing Aaron, and, and I think I know him fairly well, if he has a grudge, whether it be against the organization or a player or an, an arch rival or family, friends, he ain't budging. I don't see him coming back. You got to be kidding me. This is the internet. Hold on. Let's see if we can just pause this. Let's see. This internet. Okay. All right. Well, that's half the clip. Well, the money clip. The part that actually is important that Brett Favre now we can't listen to because of this great internet that we have here in this makeshift studio until we're back into our old studios on Thursday or Monday. Today's Thursday, Monday. Brett Favre basically said he could see Aaron Rodgers sitting out. He does not see Aaron Rodgers playing for the Packers in 2021. And you know what? Not that I didn't believe Joe DeLuisio before, again, host of the Sharp Charter Podcast, when he joined us on Monday. But he was the kind of the first person that actually truly made me think, could Aaron Rodgers truly sit down, uh, sit out? Now you hear it from Brett Favre. Then you kind of also look at Aaron Rodgers' personality, how he is, how he's acted, how he's really been throughout his entire career. I am starting to believe more and more that if Aaron Rodgers isn't traded this year, if he, if the Packers make this ugly, if they drag it up, they say, hey, listen, we're calling your bluff. You could go retire. We're not trading you. I truly do think... Aaron Rodgers will sit out the 2021 season. Despite the fact that the Packers are close to the Super Bowl, despite the fact that he's coming off an MVP season. I truly do believe if things get ugly, he will sit out this season, and here's why. For Aaron Rodgers, this feud, this public display of frustration, leaking through sources, putting it out there publicly that he is frustrated, not only with the organization, but specifically with Brian Gutekunst about how they handled the Jordan Love pick. To me... This isn't about winning. This isn't about money. This is about revenge. It is about proving a point. Russell Wilson wanted his voice heard within the organization. That's why he spoke out. Deshaun Watson wanted the trade because the Texans blatantly disobeyed what he said after promising, hey, we'll listen to you. Psych, we'll hear your input just to appease you. Roll your eyes. We're going to do the complete opposite that you say. Aaron Rodgers is through sources putting his feelings out there because he wants revenge. He wants revenge on Brian Gutekunst for the embarrassment, the embarrassment that Gutekunst served up to Rodgers this time last year. Because if you remember, again, the Packers, not only did they trade up to draft Jordan Love in the first round, coming off a 13-3 and or going to the NFC title game, they didn't even tell their franchise quarterback Aaron Rodgers was like me and you last year watching the draft. He had zero clue what the Packers were doing. So when we were all surprised, sitting there like, whoa, did they just really draft Jordan Love in the first round? 
They did that. But how we were surprised, because wow, we didn't see this coming, Aaron Rodgers was equally as surprised because he didn't see it coming. I mean, hell, if you look at this draft, you've had the 49ers and John Lynch call Jimmy Garoppolo, hey, we're trading up to number three, we're going to draft a quarterback. You had the Minnesota Vikings call Kirk Cousins, say, hey, Kirk, heads up, we're probably going to take a quarterback later in the draft. They took Kellen Mond in round three. You have the Minnesota Vikings treating Kirk Cousins with more respect than the Packers did with Aaron Rodgers. Do you think Aaron Rodgers doesn't realize that? I think he just forgot that, hey, he was playing good cop all season long, didn't really publicly put out his frustration with the organization, really throughout any point in 2020. He didn't forget. This was all calculated. This is all about taking power back from the Packers. Because right now, they have the power because they thought they were able to string Aaron Rodgers along. They drafted Love in 2020. They had Aaron Rodgers be their quarterback in 2020. They're going to have him probably be their quarterback in 2021. But they took it on a year-by-year basis. Every time Brian Gutekunst spoke this offseason, he was very non-committal about the future of Aaron Rodgers. Hey, Aaron's our quarterback for the foreseeable future. Hey, we're not going to restructure Aaron's contract because guess what that does? That puts more money down the line on his contract, and that means when we cut him or when we trade him, that, that money is going to be sitting on our cap. It's going to be dead money. We're going to have to eat it. So we're not going to do that because right now the dead cap money is very low because there's no guaranteed money left on Aaron Rodgers' deal after this year. So they were going to string Aaron Rodgers along on a year-by-year basis, basically saying, hey, when is Jordan Love ready? Uh, not 2021. Okay, we'll have Aaron Rodgers here. Maybe in 2022, we'll gear for life after Rodgers. We'll get jo- uh, Love on the field. Well, if you're Rodgers, why would you want to be strung along? You are an all-time great quarterback. You are one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback, in your franchise's history. And now you're going to be embarrassed, one, on draft night, by them trading up to take a quarterback without you even knowing about it. And then, two, they're going to string you along Year by year, every time they don't commit to you, it's just another slap in the face, more disrespect to who you are and what you've accomplished as a quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. And we're supposed to think he's okay with it or that he forgot and it's all water under the bridge? No, 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 no. That's why to me, this time last week, a few hours from now, when, when Adam Schefter first floated out there that Aaron Rodgers is done with the organization, he wants to trade. Then we have subsequent reports. Charles Robinson saying basically, hey, only way Aaron Rodgers is returning is if Brian Gutekunst is fired. This is about revenge. It's not getting another receiver. It's not having your voice heard in maybe, you know, free agency. It is embarrassing the people who embarrassed him. So I do think when push comes to shove, if the Packers say, Aaron, we're not trading you. Not now, not after June 1st when the salary cap uh, hit lowers for the Packers. We are keeping you for 2021. I truly do think at this point, 100% chance Aaron Rodgers does not play for the Packers. As long as Brian Gutekunst is the general manager, as long as a new contract isn't done, he has a current contract that he has right now, three years, but again, because there's no guaranteed money, the Packers have an out really whenever they want. If there's no contract... No new contract, no guaranteed contract that basically basically keeps him there through the rest, at least, of the Jordan Love deal. If there's no trade of Jordan Love and if Brian Gutekunst is still the general manager, there is zero, zero chance to me in my mind Aaron Rodgers is playing for the Packers in 2021. I truly do think he will sit out. Because this is a guy, again, this is not a normal NFL player. This is a guy 
who holds grudges. Think about it. We don't know all the details, but what we do know about his personal life is that he hasn't talked to his family in years. I don't know why. I don't know what caused it. I don't know truly if they've been behind closed doors talking or not. Publicly, he hasn't talked to his family in years. This is a guy that is still upset about the Green Bay Packers cutting Jake Kumaro. Now, if you don't know who Jake Kumaro is, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. He is a 53 guy or, or guy 53 on a 53-man roster. He was cut basically the day last year, right before the season started. He was cut right after Aaron Rodgers said, oh, man, Jake Kumaro, this guy's looking good in, in training camp. I think he'll make the team. He'll be on the squad. They cut him the next day. Aaron Rodgers felt embarrassed because here he is advocating for a receiver. Now, again, he's not the best receiver on the team. He's not even a guy that's an NFL, you know, quality receiver. This is a guy that, once he was cut by the Packers, went through waivers. He's on the Bills practice squad the entire year. This is not some all-pro big-time receiver that the Packers cut that Aaron Rodgers is upset about. This is a last-man-on-the-roster kind of guy. Special teamer, maybe in a blowout, he'll come and play for you. And Aaron Rodgers still has thrown daggers and thrown small shots at the, uh, in the media at the Packers within the 2020 season about them cutting Jake Kumaro. This is a guy who's like an elephant. He doesn't forget. So the draft day leak was all calculated. He waited for the perfect time to truly embarrass the organization. And now looking back on it, him playing the good cop, right? Him publicly not saying anything against the Packers. Sure, he said he was surprised. Sure, he said his future is a beautiful mystery. He didn't trash the organization one time after the Jordan Love pick up until last week. He made it seem like he is okay with the Packers stringing him along, having their replacement or having his replacement kind of get ready behind him. And whenever he's ready, Roger's going to be at the door. He kept it all quiet because he realized when you least suspect it, that's how you kind of make the biggest impact. If we heard rumblings, if Aaron Rodgers was talking about how he's dis disgruntled with the Packers. We hear that on chapter news about how he wants to trade. It's not as impactful because we could kind of see it coming. But he waited for the perfect time. A year later, when the Packers embarrassed him, he tried to embarrass the organization. So to me, this is why, this is truly why I do think he'll sit out. He goes through all this. The draft day leaks, wanting Brian Gutekunst fired, putting all these stories through different sources out there in the media. If he is not traded, and if he does play for the Packers in 2021, again, without Brian Gutekunst being fired, and without getting a new deal, a new deal that basically guarantees him the rest of his career in Green Bay, he gets embarrassed again. Aaron Rodgers gets embarrassed for the second time around because he put on this whole dance. He put, started this entire firestorm, and it ended up being for naught. Because he didn't follow through on what he said. I don't think this is a guy that would embarrass, him, embarrass himself again by not following through on the threats. So whether you trade him, I think the Packers should. If they don't, I think this is a guy that sits out. He sits out for as long as the Packers want to hold on to him until they finally either cut him or trade him. So I think he's 100% serious. He's headstrong enough to, to make this move and to not budge. And I think that's what's going to happen. So if the Packers don't trade Aaron Rodgers, if they want to play hardball, I think Rodgers will dig in. I don't think he'd play for the Packers in 2021. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Get involved, please. Facebook, Twitter, Facebook Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, 
WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey show on Twitter as well. Do you think Aaron Rodgers, if he's not traded, would sit out the 2021 season or would he play? We've seen plenty of guys before threaten to retire, threaten to sit out, and they don't. I think this is different. Rodgers is a different cat. I think he would follow through with it. And I think he would do it. So love to hear your thoughts. Again, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Will Aaron Rodgers sit out the 2021 season or will he play? We'll get your thoughts. And when we come back, Aaron Rodgers is frustrated with the lack of power he has within the organization. He's not the only quarterback this offseason to voice their frustration. How much power do quarterbacks deserve within an NFL organization? We will discuss that next. It is the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here. Matt McGloin, six-year NFL quarterback, will join us in 15 minutes to discuss not only how much power quarterbacks deserve within their organization, but also break down the incoming draft class, or I guess the outgoing draft class that we just saw. Five quarterbacks go in the first round. Who fits where? Any sleeper quarterbacks that we're not kind of looking at right now that, that could make an impact with their team? Matt does a great job breaking down the quarterbacks in the draft, so we'll get his thoughts on the rookie class incoming and also power within organizations for quarterbacks. But speaking of which, before we get Matt's thoughts, I'm going to give you my thoughts here. Because obviously, as we know, Aaron Rodgers is the latest quarterback this offseason to voice his displeasure with his team. Now, he's not the only one. And as we know, the NFL is a copycat league, right? Whether it's schemes. Remember when the Wildcat first came out with the Dolphins? What do you know? The next year, every team is running the Wildcat. Spread offense. As soon as teams start having success with putting three, four, five receivers on the field, throwing the ball more than running the ball, guess what? Teams start emulating that. Teams start copying that. Head coaching hires. Remember, Sean McVay was hired by the Rams. A big risk. A guy with little head coaching experience, super young, but an offensive genius. And all of a sudden now, Rams have success with McVay. Everyone is looking for the next Sean McVay. So the NFL, as we know, very copycat league. And really, in life, the NFL does mirror life where it's adapt or die, especially now with everything and how quickly everything in the world moves. You have to truly adapt or you're going to be left behind. And it's interesting because now we're seeing this play out in front of our eyes within the NFL because there are three teams right now either struggling to adapt, not wanting to adapt, and they could be left behind very, very, very soon. Because when you look at Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, what do all three have in common? Top five quarterbacks? Yes. But all three have in common as well their frustrations within their own organizations because those organizations, the Seahawks, the Packers, the Texans, have not adapted to the modern NFL thinking. They have not adapted to the way teams should be viewing their quarterbacks and instead using and relying on that philosophy from 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 for the Packers 100 years ago. 
things have changed. And if the Packers don't change, if the Texans don't change, if the Seahawks don't change, guess what? Those three organizations are going to get left in the dust because they're MVP, they're young rising franchise quarterback, and they're superstar quarterback are all going to be on other teams having success elsewhere. And those three teams will be leaving or or left, I should say, picking up the pieces. Because when it comes to power for the quarterback within the NFL, how much power does a quarterback deserve? As we know, the quarterback position is the most important position in all sports. Football is a team game. I'm not trying to say it's a one-man game for sure. But the quarterback directly in the NFL, and really in football, has the most direct impact for a single player on the outcome, win or lose, than any other position, right? No one impacts winning or losing more than the quarterback. You have a good quarterback, you're going to win. If you don't, eh, it's going to be really, really tough to win. So when you look at now how much power do quarterbacks deserve for franchise guys, for guys you can trust that are, you know, top 10 quarterbacks, they should be treated like superstars in the NBA. They deserve input on schemes, on coaching hires, on player signings or draftings. They deserve the same amount of say that superstars in the NBA, like LeBron James, like Damian Lillard, like Luka Doncic, I'm sure is getting with the Mavericks. Any superstar within the NBA. Kevin Durant with the Nets is a great example. Giannis with the Bucks. Any superstar that is the cornerstone of their franchise in the NBA gets their voice heard. Players, coaches, scheme-wise, decisions go through them. Quarterbacks in the NFL, not every quarterback, franchise, legitimate franchise quarterbacks that can win you a Super Bowl deserve the same treatment. And honestly, in my mind at least, maybe you differ and I'd love to hear why. But if you do differ, please, Facebook, Twitter, let me know why. In my mind at least, it doesn't make any sense to not Listen to their thoughts. To me, it's counterintuitive to do your own thing and expect the quarterback, whether they like it or not, to suck it up and to go along with what you're doing. So when you hear, and when I hear at least, Aaron Rodgers voice his frustration with the Packers, Russell Wilson voice his frustration with the Seahawks, Deshaun Watson voice his frustration with the Texans, yeah, I'm on the side of all three of those guys. They deserve to be heard. They deserve to have their say, and an impact on decision-making. And honestly, I think it's common sense in part because we've seen it succeed. What did I just talk about? The the NFL is a copycat league, right? Well, are these teams blind then? Because you look at what happened with Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. Before we talk about 2020, let's go back to 2019 really quickly here. Tom Brady and the New England Patriots in 2019 struggled for their standards. They made the playoffs bounce in the first round. But they kind of all season long didn't look right. They're out of sync. The offense wasn't really good. They struggled moving the ball. A lot of people blame Tom Brady. Now, to be fair, yours truly said, hey, it's the team. It's not Tom Brady. Turns out that looked to be pretty right, but that's not the point. The point was, look, Tom Brady and that uh, Tom Brady still at that point in 2018 wasn't viewed as an elite, elite quarterback. He leaves. He goes to Tampa Bay. Tim Bay already has a, a very good roster in place, as we know. But Bruce Arians, the head coach, Jason Light, the general manager, basically brought Tom Brady in and the three of those guys together, the trio, made decisions on scheme, decided how the roster was going to shape up, 
decided basically what kind of style of play that they were going to do. The Buccaneers catered their team, catered the system to what Tom Brady does well. And guess what? That ended up working out pretty damn well for the Buccaneers, didn't it? The Buccaneers didn't go to hell because they're listening to Tom Brady on which fragrance to sign, or hey, maybe which position should we should we go in the draft? Like this guy, would this make sense for what we're trying to accomplish an offense? I mean, remember, Bruce Arians did not want Antonio Brown on the team. Tom Brady got his way, not saying the, uh, the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl because of Antonio Brown, but hey, he helped Tom Brady feel comfortable in that offense, was another weapon, and just helped, again, kind of build the continuity to where this team, towards the end of the year, was playing their best football. So you see how that works. When you collaborate with the quarterback, with the head coach of the GM, when all three of those guys are on the same page working together, it works. And I figured, you know what? The other NFL teams are smart. They'll see that, and they will do the same for their franchise guy. They, the Seahawks will do that for Russell Wilson. The Packers will do that for Aaron Rodgers. The Texans will do that for Deshaun Watson. Instead, those three organizations right now are stuck in the old ways. They are still stuck in, hey, the general manager, this guy picks the players. The coach, you're going to coach the players. Whatever players I pick from the GM, you're going to coach them. And hey, the players, you're going to play. Those days are over. Or at least those days are over for successful teams. So I don't feel bad for the Texans, for the Seahawks, for the Packers, because they did this to themselves. If truly the goal is to win Super Bowls, can you honestly say all three of these teams are in the right by not listening to their guy? Think about it. The Seahawks, for example, right? Pete Carroll, his big point of contention with Russell Wilson was aggressiveness. Russ wanted to go, 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 go. He wanted to cook. And the first half of the year, sure, he threw some more interceptions. Sure, he was a little looser with the ball. But the Seahawks had the best offense in football through the first eight games of the year. And guess what happened? Pete Carroll reined in the offense. That offense in the second half looked like crap. No one was scared of the Seahawks, and they lost at home in the playoffs to John Wolford and Jared Goff, who had one thumb. If you're the Texans, with a team that is in turmoil right now, you go to Deshaun Watson, the only bright spot in your team is, hey, Deshaun, New GM, new head coach. What are you thinking here? This is kind of the philosophies we think. You want a culture change. You like these guys. Deshaun Watson gives his input. And then the Texans run and do the complete opposite. Run and do the total opposite thing that Deshaun Watson said. The Packers. You trade up to bring in Aaron Rodgers' replacement. You tell us or you, you make it seem like you have a plan. But now you're stringing Aaron Rodgers along year by year, not sure when you're going to cut the cord, not sure when Jordan Love is going to be ready to play. And next thing you know, it's almost like you're shocked and you're scrambling when Aaron Rodgers gets frustrated. All three of these teams did this to themselves, and I hope this is a lesson. I hope the NFL is a copycat league, learns from the Seahawks, learns from the Texans, learns from the Packers. Hey, this is not the way we got to do business. If we have, if you're the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, if you are... The Chargers, and you see so far with Justin Herbert. If you are the Bills with Josh Allen, if you are the Rams and Matthew Stafford, you got to realize, boy, what's going on right now in Green Bay and Houston and Seattle? That is not what we want to do. 
That is not us, and that is not how, to me, you come together to win a Super Bowl. Collaboration. It's not an accident the Buccaneers won. To me, the Buccaneers put the blueprint out there. The smart teams will adapt their style to realize, hey, the quarterback is almost like a partner now. He's like a superstar in the NBA. we got to listen to him. The teams that don't want to adapt, the teams that think it's still the old school where the players are going to play and we're, you know, the front office is going to decide on everything else, they're going to die. They're going to get left in the dust, and they're not going to be winning a lot of games. So to some, I'm very excited to have our next guest on here, Matt McGloin. He's obviously an NFL quarterback himself. How much power does he think quarterbacks deserve in the NFL? And also break down the first-round draft class, incoming rookies, where do they land? Justin Fields, he's going to have success in, uh, in Chicago. Can Zach Wilson be different than Sam Darnold was in three years ago? We get Matt, uh, Matt's breakdowns on the incoming quarterback rookie class when the Ryan Hickey Show does return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, going until 11 a.m. Eastern, starting the show off. Talking Aaron Rodgers, could he sit out the 2021 season if not traded? And obviously this all stems from frustration within the organization. How much power do quarterbacks deserve? How much say do they deserve to have? Also, we just had the NFL draft one week ago, right? We, we broke down every single rookie quarterback, what they do well, what don't they do well, would they be a good fit here? Um, which rookie will have the best success, who's number two behind Trevor Lawrence. We broke it down in nauseam, and now we finally, as we know, have answers. We have destinations for where these quarterbacks are going. There's no better person to break everything down with, talking a lot of quarterback play in the NFL with the guy who played the position in the NFL for 60 years, also was an XFL New York Guardians quarterback himself, and the quarterback, for me, at least my freshman year at Penn State, a very memorable 2012 season with he teamed up with Bill O'Brien for, again, a very fun and unbelievable 2012 season. That is Matt McGloin. Matt, I appreciate this uh, few minutes this morning. How are you? Yeah, of course, Ryan. What's going on? I appreciate you having me on, man. Of course. I figure no better person to talk to you, someone who, kn- who knows the position very well, knows what it's like to play the most important position in sports at the highest level. That is quarterback in the NFL. So before we get into the, the rookie quarterbacks, where they, where they go, and kind of your scouting report on some of these guys taken, Obviously, as we know, the biggest story really the last week is Aaron Rodgers wanting out of Green Bay. He's not the only quarterback, though, this offseason to vent his frustration with really not having his voice heard and not kind of having the power maybe he deserves. Obviously, we know Russell Wilson uh, did the same thing in Seattle. Deshaun Watson did the same thing in Houston. So I'm curious, as someone who played the position yourself, how much power, how much say do quarterbacks deserve to have within an organization? Well, I think they deserve to have a lot of power. And a lot of say with it with inside uh, an organization, you know, especially when you're a guy like Aaron Rodgers. And you said it perfectly already. It's the most important position. Look, not just in football. It's the most important position in all of sports. It's the most difficult position to play in all of sports. Uh, what I mean, what other position, Ryan, when you look at it, can you say if this guy can't play, then our team has no chance? Right? Like, yeah, I'm with you. You don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance, right? If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a <laughs> chance. And 
I mean, if you look at what Rodgers has done for Green Bay the past 16 years there, I mean, you know, we're talking about, I mean, not just arguably the best quarterback in football today, but I mean, arguably, you know, the best ever, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and it is, it's an extremely frustrating position. I'm sure for Rodgers, I'm sure for the Packers organization, but it's frustrating for us as fans too, you know, to be able to watch this, uh, you know, go down. And it's like, I just don't understand how you can't take care of a guy like Aaron Rodgers. And look, there aren't many, you asked me about, do quarterbacks deserve power? Uh, do they deserve some say in the NFL? I believe that comes with earning that. Um, it, you know, you have to earn respect by the way you play, how consistent you are, what type of quarterback you are, how well you perform. And I mean, I don't think there's a quarterback, you know, other than Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, you, you know, like those are the guys, those are the top tier guys, the guys that should have some, some say in what goes on inside the organization. Um, you know, but there aren't, many guys in the NFL that have the leverage that Aaron Rodgers has right now. He doesn't have to play. He's made enough money. He doesn't need money. He's had a Hall of Fame career. He's an MVP. He's a Super Bowl champion. He just hosted Jeopardy for two weeks to fantastic reviews. So that's a possibility for him. He doesn't need football. The Green Bay Packers need him. They should be doing everything they can to make Aaron Rodgers happy at this moment. I'm totally with you, Matt, 100%. To your point, too, I love the point you said you got to earn it, right? It's not every quarterback that walks into a team, no matter, you know, if you're 1 or 32 in terms of the best quarterbacks in the league, right? It, it is earned. It is the top of the top kind of deserve that, almost like a superstar in the NBA where you earn that level of respect and, and say because of the play you've put on the field or on the court for your your career. So I'm curious, Max, obviously you were in the league. You've dealt with head coaches. You've dealt with general managers. Is it a pride thing? Because for me, from my perspective as a fan, and you're saying too, it's almost like common sense. Like, why wouldn't you listen to a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson when they want to have input in the team? It just makes common sense. You see what the Buccaneers did with Tom Brady. They helped listen. They kind of collaborated with Jason Light and, and Bruce Arians. They won a Super Bowl. So for me, at least as a fan, it seems like common sense. But obviously, you know the inner workings of organizations being there. Is it pride from the front office? Is it pride from the head coach to kind of saying, hey, this is my team? Or is it something else that you think that maybe is kind of leading to this frustration, for, like you said, where yeah. teams are not listening to their star quarterbacks? Like, I, look, Ryan, obviously I don't know. You know, I'm not right. in I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, so all I can do is sit here and speculate, you know, as to what goes on in GM meetings or head coach meetings or, or things like that. But I always felt there was some type of disconnect, um, definitely, between, you know, GMs and you know, even coaches and even players, you know, I mean, how many times do you see like coaches want players, but GM doesn't want players. Mm-hmm. And you always see things like that. I mean, it's almost, you know, sometimes that there's like, there's these, these battles, these internal battles for, for power and, you know, for positions. And, you know, a lot of people want their voice heard. A lot of people think that they know what's best for the team, you know? Um, I mean, and how many times, I mean, look at what New England has done and, and, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, runs everything there and look at what they've been able to do, right? He makes all the decisions, you know? So I I just think sometimes there is uh, these little, you know, power struggles and, you know, everybody, again, I think just everybody wants their voice heard and they want their opinion to matter. They want to be with the ones to make that decision. I think once you start letting powers or, or once you start letting players get power and control, you know, then I think that's a, that, that might be a slippery slope for some organizations, but that's not saying that some don't deserve it, like an Aaron Rodgers or like a Tom Brady or a Russell Wilson. You know what I'm saying? Right. And we're talking about Matt McGloin, six-year NFL vet.
And to your point, this is so, so unprecedented, especially with a quarterback of the stature and of uh, the success of Aaron Rodgers. You have some reports, Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports reporting that, you know, he's talking to Rodgers' sources. There, He's telling the Packers, it's either me or the GM. you got to choose one or another. Insane to even think about and have to kind of make that decision if you're the Packers, choose the quarterback or the GM. In your mind, if you had to make that call, what where would you go? I would go with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, how could you not? He's he's the guy. You, you know what I mean? Rodgers plays. The general managers don't play. I understand they have a position, right? And I understand, you know, they work their tails off to put these players in the right positions to do everything they can to build a football team and to build an organization and put the best possible team out there on the field. But at the end of the day, the players play, and Aaron Rodgers has played at an extremely high level for a very, very long time. Um, you know, now do I think they're going to fire their general manager? No, I don't. But you know, there's they they have to do everything they can to kind of meet in the middle here to to make you know the best quarterback in the game today to make them happy. I'm with there. I would definitely take the quarterback as especially in this situation over the GM. I'm curious because, like you said, I I don't actually truly think the Packers will fire Brian Gutekunst. So let's say things don't get resolved, Matt, and let's just say Aaron Rodgers is traded. Now, a guy, obviously, that could come in the fold right away is Jordan Love. Obviously, he did not play last year at all. I'm curious. This seems like, or at least from reports that what we read, it sounds like Jordan Love, if he's thrown on the field in 2021, would not be ready. So I'm curious, from your experience and from your perspective, how detrimental would it be to throw in a quarterback, not ready to play in the NFL, to basically throw him in the deep end, sink or swim, could that just totally destroy a quarterback like Jordan Love? Or is it maybe better just kind of see what you have? Hey, if you can swim, you'll be fine. If not, we got to move on. Well, I think when you look at position Jordan Love is in, right, obviously a first-round pick, you can make the argument that, well, Pat, Patrick Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith for a year, and look at what he was able to do in just his first year as a starting quarterback, right? And look, that is unfair. Those are unfair right. expectations for – 99.9% of quarterbacks, that's an unfair expectation for a guy like Jordan Love to say, well, look at what this guy did. We need you to, we need you <laughs> to go out there and do that. You know, for me, Ryan, it's hard for me to hand the keys over, you know, to, to a young quarterback very early in their career. I mean, you take this year's, you know, draft for an example. I don't think there's a guy that's ready to play right now other than Lawrence and Zach Wilson. You know, I, re I really do feel that way. I think every other, every one of those guys needs to sit and learn and develop and grow, which is a good thing. Um, you know, and you asked about what does it do to guys mentally? Does it destroy you mentally? Um, does it hurt confidence? I think at times, yeah, it really does, especially when you're not ready to play. Now, I mean, uh, you know, speaking, you know, uh, about my own experience, you know, I started – a few games as a rookie in 2013, but that I didn't make my first start till week 11. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had the opportunity to kind of sit for a while, understand how these game plans work throughout the course of a week. How does it, how do, how does the in season schedule work? How does game day work? You know, what does it sound like on game day inside the headset? How are the plays coming in? You know what I mean? Cause you can't mimic that stuff in OTAs, mini camp and training camp. Right. That you, that you can't mimic experience. Right. So at least for me, I was able to get some experience before I took the field for the first time. Um, but, you know, I, I think that if you're forced to play a young quarterback early, you better have some guys around him that can, that can help him, that can protect him. 
you better have some defense that, that, that that's going to play well. Um, you know, again, because the last thing you want to do, and we've seen it time after time, is put a guy out there before he's ready and he struggles, and there goes the confidence um, and, you know, uh, the inability to grow and develop and to play well down the road. Talking to Matt McGloin, played NFL or played quarterback in the NFL for six years, also uh, the New York Guardians of the XFL quarterback as well. I'm 100% with you. Like, if they do trade Aaron Rodgers, I think you bring in some sort of placeholder quarterback. It seems like Jordan Love was on a two-year development plan. I don't think rushing that and, and playing after one year w- would help him in any way. So I'm curious, Matt, from your perspective, right? Because now, even as we look at the quarterbacks in this class that were just drafted last week coming into the NFL, you just said outside, or you to think only Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are ready to play day one. From your experience, what is the hardest or what is the biggest transition from college to the NFL? Is it the terminology? Is it the speed of the game? The athletes? Like, like what was the, the hardest thing for you transition from the college game to the NFL game? Um, it's the speed. Um, you, you know, I, I really do think that the speed of the game is something that takes time getting used to. I mean, guys are too good. Mm-hmm. Guys are in position all the time. You can't miss on throws to the outside. You know, you can't throw high over the middle. You, you, there's so many things you can't do um, or else turnovers will be created. You know, you, you got like, you, you to get in and out of the huddle, Ryan, as a quarterback. <laughs> you got to be able to walk. You know what I'm saying? But, right. And, and that's, that sounds stupid. It really does. That sounds stupid. But that's true. You'd be amazed at how some quarterbacks can't walk into the huddle, spit the play out, break the huddle, walk to the line of scrimmage, make a mic point, you know, uh, you know, give signals to the wide receivers if necessary, make audibles, make checks, change protection, see coverage, see rotation, be able to anticipate. I mean, it's it, it, all while this play clock is ticking down, down, down. You got guys yelling on the defensive side of the ball, offensive linemen yelling. I mean, you need to be comfortable in chaos. And a lot of guys – can't do that and what's hard and what's tough is that we make so much of this nfl draft where these quarterbacks are and where these quarterbacks go and where these quarterbacks get drafted look you don't know what you're getting when these guys take the field the first time at otas you you don't know if the nfl lights are going to be too big for them you don't know if they can process the information at an nfl level and nfl speed you think you could based on where you took them and everything is based off potential, which is kind of unfair because you mm. don't know you don't know what it's going to be like when a guy shows up day one. Um, you know, it's tough, man. And I, I just think a lot of times, you know, guys are forced to play early because of where they're drafted. Um, you know, so I mean, it's it's a crazy game. The quarterback position is a very very tough position to play, um, and it takes time to learn it. It absolutely doesn't. And to your point, too, right, we see, you know, it's so hard to find a quarterback. So I was going through the drafts the last decade and just kind of looking how many quarterback hits actually happened. So from 2010 to 2019, 30 quarterbacks were taken in the first round in that 10-year span. 17, you can make the argument, busted out or didn't live up to potential or didn't get a second contract. So I'm curious because, to your point, for, for three months each and every year from February, March, and April, we break down these quarterbacks, what they do well, what don't they do well, their potential, their arm strength, their accuracy, their athletic ability. Personally, I feel like not enough attention is spent on landing spot, on the teams or, or, or the teams that are drafting these guys, where they're going. In your mind, is that the most important key to success for a young quarterback or failure is, hey, forget what you can do on the field. It's where you're going, the team you're going to, what position they put you in to succeed or not. 
How important is landing spot in your mind to a quarterback's either success or failure? Absolutely. Great question, Ryan. I, look, I don't care where you go in the draft. I don't care if you go one. I don't care if you go uh, 150. It doesn't matter to me, right? The, mm-hmm. the goal, the, like everybody wants to hear their name called, and that's great. Like, it, it's a, it, you know, I remember, you know, playing football in the backyard, having dreams of having, you know, my name called on draft day. That didn't happen for me, right? Mm-hmm. But the goal was to get to the NFL. And what do you do when you get to the NFL? The goal then becomes to stay in the NFL. You know, so much for me, you know, is look at a guy like Justin Fields, right? Mm -hmm. Number 11th overall, Bears trade up for him. Team was so much more important than pick for a guy like Justin Fields. Why? Because he needs to sit a little bit and he needs to learn. He needs to, you know, learn how to play you know an nfl style offense he needs to learn how to process information and he ends up in chicago under matt Nagy and an andy reed style offense he Mm -hmm. now has the opportunity to work with one of the best quarterback coaches in the national football league who's also the pass game coordinator uh coordinator there now and john d filippo who i had the opportunity um to work with three of my six years in the nfl he's my quarterback's a coach in Oakland and Philadelphia, um, you know, and I think he's one of the one of the best quarterback minds in the game today. He's got the opportunity to learn from Andy Dalton, and you know, say what you want about Andy Dalton, uh, this guy is a fantastic veteran quarterback. He's got over seventy career wins. He's been in the playoffs. He's been a starter for how many years in Cincinnati? He played well when Dallas had had to put him in the game. This guy is a fantastic guy to learn from, not just about playing the game, but how to be a pro, how to be consistent, how to, you know, manage your time, you know, on the field, in the weight room, in the film room, really understand how to watch film and understand what defenses are trying to do. Now, being in Chicago for a guy like Justin Fields, he's got to work. He's going to have to compete. Um, and that seems like that's going to be an open competition. You're going to find out early what type of quarterback he is. Mm-hmm. Because there's, Ryan, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, right? There's a difference between knowing you have a chance to be the guy and knowing that you're a de- developmental backup. Like, uh, look at look at like a Kyle Trask, uh-huh. right? He gets drafted in Tampa. He knows you have no chance of playing, right? <laughs> you know, but, but that's what I'm saying. He understands now. He's like, I can be a sponge for this whole year and learn everything I can from Tom Brady and continue to develop and continue to get better, right? Mm-hmm. But Justin Fields, Justin Fields can't take his foot off the gas because he knows he's competing for a job. And that brings out something different, I think. So I think Justin Fields is probably in one of the best positions out of the quarterbacks in, in the NFL. I'm with you there, I, Matt. I'm totally with you. Like I said, it, it's so that brings you to a question about Zach Wilson. Could you mention him along with Trevor Lawrence? They can start day one. Personally, Matt, when I look at the Jets – I don't see too much difference between them in 2021 and them in 2018 when they took Sam Donald number three overall. They thought they had to steal the draft of Sam Donald. This guy was going to be the truth. I personally still think Sam Donald's super talented, and I think he'll have success in Carolina. I just think the lack of weapons, Adam Gase, everything in New York, everything that kind of went on led to the downfall. Um, for him, what do you see differently with the Jets with Zach Wilson coming in? Because where you think he could start day one, he you I'm assuming at least I don't want to put words in your mouth. You think he at least starting day one could be more successful? Or do you? I'll ask that actually. Do you think say, uh, Zach Wilson can have a different experience than Sam Darnold in New York? Uh, I, I you know I don't know. 
because and, and I'm I, you know I'm not going to sit here and say this guy's going to do well. This guy's you know mm-hmm. going to play poorly. Anything like that. I'm thinking all these quarterbacks have talent, and they all have you know enough talent to one day be very good football players. But uh, you know it's unfair to sit here and say what these guys are going to do, how much success they're going to have. They're going to throw for 40 touchdowns. I don't know. None of them have stepped on an NFL football field yet. But for me, when you watch a guy like Zach Wilson, and after his pro day, he became the clear-cut number two for me in this year's draft. Um, you know, he really reminds me of Derek Carr. Um, you know, and, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, he's just he's such an extremely gifted thrower of the football. Just a natural throwing motion, uh, natural ability to play quarterback. Um, you know, he, he, he's really worked on his footwork. You know, um, the footwork was much much better on his pro day than it was on film. Uh, he's got such a quick release. He moves so well at the wide base. He gets, you know, he, he doesn't shuffle his feet. He doesn't waste time when moving and throwing the football, right? He can, mm-hmm. he can drift left, throw right, drift right, throw left. Very good off balance. He's very good, uncomfortable. And that's important because how many times, Ryan, do we get as quarterbacks to stand in the pocket and just throw the football without moving? Very rarely, or almost yep. never, right? It, it doesn't happen. So I think his ability to throw from any angle or, or any position of his feet is really beneficial to him. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I, again, I just think he's he's the type of guy we'll see run out there day one. Um, and, 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 you know, again, has, has all the talent to, to, be, to be successful. Wrapping it up with former NFL quarterback Matt McGloin. So, Matt, Matt Jones... I think it's easy to say it was the most polarizing quarterback in the entire draft process. Um, and part of that is just his athletic ability or, you know, lack thereof. So I'm curious, in today's NFL, right, Mac Jones, we know, isn't mobile. He's not going to beat you with your feet. He's not going to really leave the pocket. But we saw at Alabama, his decision-making, his accuracy led to them winning a national title and just dominating college football. Can teams or can quarterbacks in the NFL still have success with processing, with accuracy and decision-making without having that athletic ability, without having that threat of leaving the pocket and making plays outside the pocket. Yeah, look, I, you know, I, I, look. if you're a quarterback in the NFL today, I'm not asking you to run for 100 yards a game. You know, it'd be nice if you were to break off one run, you know, for a mm-hmm. first down, you know, on, on a third down or, you know, scramble for a touchdown in the red zone to have that ability to do so. And, look, I, you know, I think all quarterbacks, if you're in the NFL, you're athletic enough and talented enough to be able to to do that look at mac jones look he's a winner he's consistent he's accurate and i understand he played with some of the best talent in the country at alabama but you still have to understand the offense the game plan read coverage understand fronts blitzes still have to deliver the football on time you still have to play the game you know people talk about and want to criticize the arm strength he can make every throw right he makes up for it with decision making timing and accuracy he's got good footwork he's got a good feel in the pocket um you know, uh, really good uh, pocket awareness, right? He does a good job of, of moving around in the pocket and a good job of avoiding taking big hits in the pocket, which, which, which is hard to do, you know? Um, but look, for me, Ryan, you know, we talk about these quarterbacks, talk about how you know, great their arms are or how big they are. Everything, playing quarterback in the NFL, everything goes back to decision-making, timing, and accuracy. Right. If you don't Mm -hmm. have it, if you don't have it, forget about it. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how strong your arm is. If you don't have those three traits to start out, I mean, and you can't process information or hurry, you have no chance. Guys are too good in this in this NFL league. 
finish up with this, Matt. Very self-serving here, I'll be honest, but I, I got to ask. Down year for the Knits in 2020. We feeling a bounce back for Penn State in 2021? I hope so, right? Me too. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, because, hey, look, not just saying that because we're Penn State guys, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's more of when Penn State is good, you know, the Big Ten is good, right? And, uh, you know, it, it starts and ends with Sean Clifford, right? Could yes. he develop into what? Could he, could, could he develop into what um, we believe he can be as a quarterback? And that's one of the best, you know, in the Big Ten. Um, he's got this whole, he's had this whole spring. He's got this whole summer. He's got this whole training camp to learn like your offense, something he didn't have last year with the former offensive coordinator, Kirk Shiraka, you know, and that's, and that's huge for a quarterback learning the system. That's huge for this offense. It's huge for this team. Um, you know, he can't turn the football over. I think he's got to become stronger mentally. Um, you know, and he can't dwell on plays, right? He needs to move mm-hmm. on quarterback quarterbacks need to have a short memory. Um, you know, they've got a, they've got a very strong running back room. With uh, you know guys like Noah Kane, John Lovett, the the transfer from Baylor, Kevon Lee, Devin Ford, you know these these guys are good, um, you know all experienced running backs who have carries, um, and you know defensively for Penn State, you know somebody's always going to step up, uh, you know because you know again they're 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 lose they lost Elway, uh, Shaka Tony, Lamont Wade, obviously Micah Parsons, mm-hmm. but you know you'll have guys like Brandon Smith, Jesse Lucetta, Ellis Brooks. Tariq Castro Fields is back, which is huge for this defense and the secondary. So the talent's there, man. Just uh, just got to go out and play well. I'm with you, Matt. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we do get a nice bounce back in 2021. NFL veteran quarterback Matt McGloin with us here. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes, Matt. Really do appreciate the time. Hey, anytime, Ryan. Thanks. Fascinating conversation with Matt. We'll circle back to some of the uh, things he said in 40 minutes from now. 40 minutes at 10.40 a.m. Eastern. When we do come back. Hour number two, we'll start with a little NBA fact or fiction as we get ready for the postseason. We'll do that when the Ryan Hickey Show does return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here going until 10, oh, 11. It is 10 o'clock Eastern. We're going to 11 a.m. Eastern on this Thursday morning. We appreciate Matt McGloin giving us a few minutes here. Fascinating perspective both on Aaron Rodgers and kind of the development of these young quarterbacks we just saw taken in the draft. So we'll circle back the half hour from now, 1040 Eastern to finish off the show because there's some things there I do want to react to. I thought that was really good stuff. Um, so we do appreciate, again, Matt for giving us a few minutes here. We are coming to you live, as we always are, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's Great Pizza, Hot Heroes, and Phenomenal Dinners. Check out Big Italy Pizzeria in person in Medford, Joe's Pizzeria in Bayshore, Classic New York Pizza Joint, also in Bayshore, or online at BigItalyPizza.com. So we are just about two weeks, a week and a half away from the NBA playoffs getting started here. I feel like there are some... Narratives out there we have to discuss. So why not play a little fact or fiction NBA edition? Five questions, five one sta- well, five questions, five statements will be presented. Are they fact or are they fiction? So let's start at number one here. Let's start with the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks can win a playoff series. To me, that is a 
fact. I can't believe I'm uttering those words. But that, to me, 100% is a fact. Because this team is no longer just a feel-good story. This team is not just, wow, look how hard Julius Randle and Emmanuel Quickly and Alec Burks and R.J. Barrett are playing. Look at Tom Thibodeau. These guys are playing tough. This is a gritty bunch. Look, they're winning a few games. This is cool. They are going to be a legit menace in the playoffs. And also part of the reason why I feel that way is their style now is how playoff games are played and how playoff games are won. Here's what I mean by that. The Knicks aren't a team that's going to run out in transition, run up and down the court. As we know, the playoffs slow down. A lot of half-court sets, a lot of one-on-one offense. Well, that's what the Knicks do. They are dead last, dead last, 30 out of 30 in pace. Meaning, basically, they play half-court offense the entire time. They get a rebound on defense. They're slowly walking up up the court. They're not pushing the pace. They're not trying to get a three-on-two or two-on-one or one-on-oh. They are comfortable playing half-court sets, which is how the playoffs are played for the most part. They are tremendous defensively, fourth in the NBA defensive rating. They don't shoot a ton of threes, but when they do, they hit them. They're third in three-point field goal percentage. This team is legit. You have Julius Randle exploding. Easily the most uh, improved player in the NBA in 2021. He has been a revelation. He has been incredible. Derrick Rose, a move, I'll be honest, I was against. I did not think that was a smart one for the Knicks. He has been tremendous. He has been incredible. He has helped this offense get going here. R.J. Barrett, I mean, forget even his rookie year last year. He has grown so impressively with his shooting, with his decision-making. He has made massive strides, massive strides from year one to year two. So this team, to me, is legit. Right now, they're in the four. Obviously, that is the most conducive for the Knicks. You get the Hawks, most likely, maybe the Celtics, in that 4-5 matchup. They can win that. They absolutely can win that, and they could... Be at least a pest for the Sixers, for the Bucks. They can win a game or two. They'll, they'll be a pain in the butt. So the Knicks, to me, it's a fact. They absolutely can win a playoff series. How about for the Nets? They're crosstown rivals. Here's the statement. Seeding doesn't matter for the Nets. To me, this is fiction. If the Brooklyn Nets want to make the finals, their best shot at doing so, to me, their only shot at doing so, is by grabbing the number one seed in the NBA. We just saw them play a back-to-back series against the Bucs on Sunday and Tuesday. Two tremendous games. Both incredible, both down to the wire, both won by Milwaukee. Why is that important? Why is that noteworthy? To me, it just shows you how brutal a road it's going to be if they don't get the number one seed. If the Nets stick at the two, their second-round matchup will be against the Bucs most likely, then the Sixers, if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Then whoever comes out of the West. That is grueling. Absolutely grueling. So you have that stretch where the Nets could go Bucks, Sixers, Western Conference Finals. Or if they are able to get the one seed, they get the playing team. Then they get most likely maybe the Knicks or the Hawks or the Celtics. Challenging but winnable. Definitely winnable. And then you get the winner of the Bucks and or Sixers. Playing to me both in the second and third round is not a recipe for success. And as we saw, they can't stop. No one on the Nets can stop Giannis. 49 points on Sunday, 36 more 
on Tuesday. He's hitting threes. They have no one that can match up with him. Even when Kevin Durant, who's a good defensive player, tries to slow him down, he can't. And let's not forget also here, this is an important key. James Harden is not going to play the rest of the regular season. We don't know even his status right now for the playoffs. If he misses the opening round series, not that they need him, but if he is working his way back and basically trying to get back into playing shape when the, the Nets are playing the Bucks, to me, that is, I mean, that is not a recipe for success. Not to mention, finally, the final point, why I think to me seeding is absolutely important. I don't think the Nets are making the finals anyway, but their best chance, their only chance to do so is grab the number one seed. Because look, Kevin Durant this season, He's been phenomenal when he's been on the court. The issue is, that's been far and few between. Do you know the most consecutive games Kevin Durant has played this year? Do you want to take a guess? I'll give you a second here. Take a guess. How many consecutive games has Kevin Durant played in this season? Okay, you got your number. The answer is six. The most amount of games Kevin Durant this entire season has played has six games, has been six games in a row. We don't even know if he can make it through one series and play every game. So now you're, you're going to tell me the Nets can make the finals after playing the Bucks around two, playing the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals, and playing the Western Conference you know, champion? I don't see it happening. The Nets absolutely need the one seed if they want to make the finals. Statement number three. As we're doing NBA fact or fiction as we get ready for the playoffs here. Statement number three, the Lakers are in trouble. That's it. The Lakers are in trouble. For me, that's a fact. Sunday night, last Sunday night, was extremely telling. LeBron James, in his second game back since hurting his ankle, missed the last six minutes, 42 seconds of that game. He hasn't played since. He's missing at least tonight's game. He's missing tomorrow's game. We don't know how many more games he's going to miss after that. As you know, Anthony Davis still trying to work back into shape. He's been on the court after missing nine weeks. He's still working to get back there. Now, this is interesting because a few, or at least when the injury went down, I did on, we, on this show, we did, you can look back on the receipts. We questioned, can LeBron James, when he does come back, this is going to be the first time in his career he is coming off of an injury and his regular season is derailed for the postseason. So as we know, right, LeBron, the entire regular season for LeBron is a ramp up to the postseason. He is using the regular season as a testing ground, as a launch point to play his best basketball in the playoffs. And it's worked, as we know. LeBron has played great in, I feel like, every postseason series he's been in. Especially the last decade. Part of that is because he's used the regular season to get to that point. This is the first time in LeBron's career. First time in his career. He is coming off of an injury. And now has to play in the playoffs. I remember when he heard his groin two years ago in his first year in Los Angeles, the Lakers missed the playoffs. So he came back for a few games, and they rested him the, the, you know, the last half or the last stretch of the season because they're out of the playoffs. You have LeBron now dealing with an ankle injury, heading into the playoffs for the first time in his career where he didn't have that time to ramp up, where now he's playing catch-up, trying to get back into playing shape, trying to get back into his peak performance as the playoffs are here. That, to me, is very, very concerning. The Lakers are 100% in trouble. Let's also look, too. Right now, they are sixth. They are clear the playing game, but not by much. They are just a half game. Half game. That's it. Just a teeny bit ahead of the Blazers for avoiding the play-in. Not that you have to worry too much about the play-in. The Lakers losing to the play-in. I think they'll win that. 
But it's more the principle of just, hey, extra game for LeBron. Now, when you look at seeding-wise, this is going to be the hardest trek for LeBron to make the finals, maybe in his career. And right now, the Lakers get the sixth. They avoid the plane. Their first-round matchup is the Clippers. I'm telling you right now, I'm picking the Clippers in that series. I'm believing, and that's just me also believing in the Clippers this year. I think they could easily, not easily, I think they could beat the Lakers. That's a, that's a series the, the Lakers don't want. So the Lakers, to me, are definitely in trouble. That is a fact. How about another team? Could they put a scare come playoff time? How about the Warriors? Could they put a scare into a team? To me, that answer is fiction come playoff time. Now, if it was for a, a, a game, yes. For the play-in, yes. For an entire series, that's why, to me, my answer is no, because I don't see it happening. Steph Curry has been incredible. You can make the argument this is he's playing the best basketball right now the last two months that he's ever played in his career. He is white hot right now. And especially when you look at the surrounding cast, not having Klay Thompson out there to take away attention from him, not having Kevin Durant on the court where defense have to focus on. When it's Steph Curry and really only other Steph, you know, only Steph Curry on the court that teams are worried about, and he's still scoring 40 a night, hitting 10 threes a night, averaging what he's averaging in this insane run that he's had really the last six weeks, two months. It's, it's been incredible. As I mess up the music here, please bear with me. My apologies. Now we're back. My bad. Trying to do two things at once. I can't multitask. My bad. We'll let the music play. But here's the thing. In the playoffs, teams do whatever and anything it takes to take away a team's best option. Obviously, for the Warriors, that's Steph Curry. My concern with the Warriors is that even if Steph Curry has a game or two where he just is unstoppable, scores 50, wills the team to victory, fine. But there is no one consistently that I trust to step up where if teams focus on Steph Curry, if you have teams throwing box and one defenses, like Nick Nurse was doing with the Raptors, where they just try to take him out completely, let literally anyone else shoot the ball. If you're relying on Draymond to score you 15 points, if you're relying on Kelly Oubre or Andrew Wiggins, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I just can't trust that. I can't trust it. So now when you look, if the Warriors win the play and they get the 7 or the 8, they'll likely play either Phoenix or Utah in the playoffs. Both those teams, top five in defensive rating. So they are great defensively that I do think, for the most part, throughout the entire series will take Steph Curry, not even take him away, limit him as much as they possibly could, and I don't see anyone else on that team stepping up. So for a game or two, I absolutely see the Warriors You know, could win a game or two. I think they could steal one. But in terms of a scare, in terms of being petrified of the, of the Warriors, like Draymond Green says, teams are ster- uh, terrified of Steph Curry, they are absolutely terrified of Steph Curry. The issue is there's no one else on that team that you're scared of, which is why, to me as a whole, come playoff time, I don't think the Warriors can actually put a scare into a team. And finally, the last one we'll do for NBA Fact or Fiction. The Nuggets are done after the Jamal Murray injury. To me, that's fiction. I did not think I'd be answering that question. I was not heartbroken. It was sad to see Jamal Murray go down and tear his ACL because I was so wrong about the Nuggets, I did not think going back to draft day or dr- draft day, trade day, I thought the only move that could be made of consequence that actually truly impacts a team's ability to get the finals was the Sixers acquiring Kyle Lowry. They did not do that. As we know, the Nuggets, they acquired Aaron Gordon. I didn't think that much have a lot of impact, to be honest. Boy, I was wrong. Because Aaron Gordon came in, and for the short sample size, when Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic and Michael Porter Jr., and Aaron Gordon were on the, on the floor together. It was so much fun to watch. This team was great. I think it was, they're, I believe they were 8-1 in that stretch when all four on the court together um, playing. 
And obviously, as we know, Joel Murray went down, and I just thought that's just, just terrible. Absolutely terrible. So I wrote them off. But you look at the way they have played. I can't believe it. So if you look at it, so in about a month, right? So Jamal Murray's played in just one game since April 4th. Unfortunately, that was a game where he did tear his ACL against the Warriors. But in that stretch, in a month's time, the, uh, the Nuggets are 13-4. and 13-4. and four. And a big credit, obviously, Nicole Jokic, MVP of the league. That question's over. He has been phenomenal. But a lot of credit deserves and goes to Michael Porter Jr. He has stepped up in a big way. His efficiency is there. He's knocking down threes. He's, more, he's scoring more. He's averaging 24.2 points per game the last 15 games, essentially the entire time that Jamal Murray's been out, including shooting 41% from three. So the Nuggets have played way better than I could have expected one. That's why, to me, I'm not writing them off. Also, look at the rest of the West. The Lakers, injury concerns. LeBron, his ankle probably won't be healthy for the most, if not all, the postseason. Anthony Davis working his way back from injury. We'll see if he can, once they're healthy, too, Get back to the Anthony Davis we saw, you know, in the in the playoffs in the bubble that really helped catapult the Lakers to a championship. I like the Jazz. I like the Suns. I like the Clippers. But right now, with the Nuggets are playing, they are absolutely in that conversation to where they can give any of those teams a series. So to me, the Nuggets are not done. This is a team that's going to be a very very tough out come playoff time. So I'm curious your thoughts. I give you my five fact or fictions. Fact. The Knicks can win a playoff series. Fiction. Seeding doesn't matter for the Nets. To me, they have to get the number one seed if they want to make the finals. I don't think they're making them anyway. But to me, the only way they will make the finals is by getting that number one seed. The Lakers are in trouble. To me, that is also a fact. You have to be super, super concerned. And right now, I don't even think they're going to... They play the Clippers. I think they're losing. They might not even get out of the first round. Let alone go to the finals. I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's fiction that the Warriors can give a team a scare in the playoffs. In the play-in, yes. Playoffs, no. And I think it's also fiction that the Nuggets are done after the Jamal Murray injury. So I'm curious your thoughts. Any of those you disagree with? Any of those you agree with? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show as well on Twitter. Um, comment there. Comment on the live stream. Tweet me directly. Love to hear your thoughts, fact or fiction. When we come back, we'll, we'll do a few quick hits here. A few quick things I want to get to in the sports world. We had a no-hitter yesterday. Man, the pitching has just been dominating baseball so far. The NHL totally embarrassed themselves. And speaking of embarrassing themselves. Oh, I didn't turn the music off. My bad. Thank God I tested that. Well, I'm an embarrassment right there for not doing my job. Also, Angel Hernandez, back at it again. God. This guy's the worst. So we'll get to those in two quick hits and also what we react to Matt McGloin's comments about Aaron Rodgers and the draft class when the Ryan Hickey Show does return on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for about a half hour, going until 11 a.m. Eastern. We appreciate wherever you're listening to the show on this Thursday morning, whether it's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, whether it's on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, 
whether it's through YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, or through our app, WWSRN, if you have an iPhone, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, if you have an Android. Download the app, super easy. You get every show, goes live right there on the app. Every article written on the website, boom, goes right there on the app. Touch of a button, right? We love simplicity. That's what the Worldwide Sports Radio app does. Very simple, WWSRN for iOS, Worldwide Sports Radio for Android. Everything, not just the Ryan Hickey Show, because there's way, way more and way better shows, to be completely honest here, than what we got putting on here every Monday and Thursday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Sports Lab Mouse, the sports hit list. We have tons of great wrestling shows here. Um, we have tons and tons and tons of great content morning, afternoon, night, weekday, weekend. Jets fan, Weapon Tide. You heard our CJ, uh, guys, CJ DeSimone, on the show. The Sports Lords. We have just so much great content and continuing to build. So the best way to stay up to date with everything going on in the Worldwide Sports Network, liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter, liking us, or I should say subscribing, excuse me, on YouTube, and visiting the website, WorldWideSportsRadio.com, and downloading the app, WWSRN. If you have an iPhone, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, if you have an Android. Simple, easy, you won't regret it. So... Kind of started doing this segment last week, and I want to keep on doing it more and more because I think it's fun. I think it's just a nice way to talk about some smaller things in sports that go on that you know give men or two opinions on. We're not going to spend 10, 15 minutes on. Um, and that is, you know, a segment that's called Quick Hitters. Three things that kind of stuck out to me, especially yesterday and over the last few days, that I do want to touch on. So we will start with some hockey here. Very rare to have kind of hockey in the driver's seat of conversation for main shows, right? I mean, I'm a huge Rangers fan. You don't hear me talk much hockey just because it's a very regional sport and sort of like baseball, not many people nationally care about hockey. You care about your own team locally, but nationally it's not the sport like the NBA, like the NFL is where we talk about any team, right, if you're a fan of them or not. But the NHL this week, to me, completely completely, completely embarrassed themselves. And then the Rangers did the same thing. We'll start with the NHL. So in case you missed it, I'm sure in case you missed it, the Rangers played the Capitals on Monday night. Tom Wilson, to me at this point, it's an insult to even call him a hockey player, to be completely honest. Because all this guy does is cheap shot after cheap shot after cheap shot. He puts players in harm's way. He hurts players. Been suspended a bunch of times, fined a ton. The NHL doesn't do anything about it. So Monday night, there was a little skirmish by the net. You know, classic hockey, you know, some guys pushing, shoving. You know, we, we've seen it every night. Well, Tom Wilson is on top of one Ranger player, Pavel Buchnevich, punches him with the direct sight of, of the referee right there, punches him in the back of the head. So Rangers players see that, like, well, screw this guy. You're not going to punch our guy in the back of the head like a cheap shot when he can't even defend himself. Some guy, you know, uh, so a skirmish happens. All of a sudden, our Tammy Panarin, the best player on the Rangers, starts, you know, pushing and shoving with Tom Wilson. Without a helmet on, Tom Wilson slams into the ground, head almost hits the ice. Very scary. It could have been, honestly, not to get all dramatic here for a second, it could have been a disaster. Very close. The, thankfully, our Tammy Panarin, for the most part, is fine, especially head-wise. You know, some injuries that he's not going to play the rest of the year. But essentially, they avoided significant disaster. What could have happened? I think it was almost guaranteed Tom Wilson going to be suspended. I mean, if it was me, no one in his history, he would have been suspended the entire year, the rest of the year. Playoffs, sorry, you got to send a message because all you're, all you're doing is just continuing to enable this clown 
to put players in harm's way and all the player safety garbage you speak, to me, it's out the window if you don't suspend them. So no way they're not going to suspend him, right? This is too obvious. The punch in the back of the head, slamming a player without his helmet to the ground, too easy. Well, the NHL instead said, now we're going to fine you. The maximum, the big maximum fine, by the way, is $5,000. So there it was. No suspension. No real even action for slamming Panarin to the ice without a helmet on. The only fine was for punching Bucevic in the back of the head. Complete complete clown show. And it's honestly a disgrace by the NHL. I'm sorry. I'm not even saying this with Rangers colored glasses on because this is not just a Rangers problem. This is not just an issue where Tom Wilson terrorizes the Rangers. This is an issue where Tom Wilson does this to each and every team he plays. He was suspended seven games earlier this year because he had a dirty hit where he went into the boards hard with his elbows up and basically pinned a guy's head to the board, to the boards where he had to be carried off or helped off the ice because his brains were splattered. It's like, what are we doing here? How can you continue to enable this guy by slapping him on the wrist, slapping him on the wrist, looking the other way as he continues to just do dirty, non-hockey plays? If he plays hard, it's one thing, right? You play with an edge. If you're one of those guys like Brad Marchand, pain in the ass on the Bruins, he does it for gamesmanship. He does it in a way that sometimes is absolutely dirty and crosses the line. But he doesn't get in players' heads. And for the most part, a lot of the small, cheeky things he does isn't putting players in harm's way. Tom Wilson only knows one speed, and that is dangerous. And the NHL, I can't explain why, continues to not punish this guy, continues to enable him, and he's not going to learn his lesson. And I hate to say this. I don't want to be dramatic here, but I'm about to be. The NHL is unfortunately going to find themselves where the day they do end up punching Tom Wilson a significant amount, the rest of the season, a a massive suspension, 10 games, 20 games, 30 games, it's going to be for something very ugly that's going to make the sport look awful. Because they could have put a stop to it. They could have sent a message on nights like early this night, uh, early this week. They enable it, and I'm telling you, something bad, something catastrophic, I hope doesn't happen, but the NHL is setting themselves up for something terrifying to happen to a player because of Tom Wilson the way he plays. They're setting themselves up. Now, not to mention, the Rangers, totally, to me, personally, embarrassing themselves as well. They put out a strong statement. Basically, now this is crazy. In case you missed this, they put out a statement asking for the uh, NHL player, the, the head of player safety, to be fired. When was the last time you ever heard a team put out a statement wanting someone within the league office fired. Right? Could you imagine the Patriots say, hey, we want Roger Goodell fired? Put out a statement. We, the Patriots, want Roger Goodell fired. That's what the Rangers did. And I, to me, I think they are right. I think they were justified. The NHL gave them no other choice. They called for someone's head. And seemingly, President John Davidson, General Manager Jeff Gordon, did not According to reports, some reports, not confirmed, seemingly maybe did not like the statement. There was some talking going around that maybe the, you know they try to, to distance themselves. And James Dolan did what James Dolan does, steps in and makes the mess of everything. He fired the president for the Rangers and the general manager, saying, saying by the way, that it was performance-based, which is <sighs> the biggest, I'll say this, those two getting fired for performance-based, if true, 
we the biggest disgrace the Rangers have ever done, at least in my lifetime, being 26 years old. The Rangers actually built something sustainable for once. They have a ton of young talent. They're the youngest team in the NHL. Sure, was there playoff aspirations for this year? Yes. Did they fall short of that? Yes. But it's funny. I was talking to some of my friends about this on Saturday. Sure, obviously, the, the season was disappointing. But you can make the argument. Every single young player of consequence made an improvement, developed in front of Rise this year to where now they're planning to run their best hockey and fortunately just too late. Do they need to get more physical? Yes. But the, what they're doing, rebuilding, announcing they're going to rebuild in, in 2018, tearing it down, basically telling the, the fans, hey, we're going to stink. We're going to try to get draft picks. We're going to try to turn this around. They did that, and they've hit on a lot of the draft picks. And now all of that out the window. James Dolan does it again. Clown. The NHL was embarrassing. The Rangers then embarrassed themselves yesterday as well. It was just disgraceful. I was honestly embarrassed to be a Rangers fan yesterday. And not to mention, I was looking forward. Now, the Rangers don't have any fighters, so they're not going to fight Tom Wilson and win. I was interested to see what they were going to do to respond to the Capitals. Six fights broke out yesterday. Six. Now, Rangers didn't win many of them, if any, but the messenger said that, hey, we're not going to be you know pushed around by Tom Wilson. But I'll be honest, I wasn't... So much life and so much air was sucked out of the balloon with the firings early in the day yesterday. I didn't even care. Didn't even care. That's at least my frustration. I apologize. That went way longer than I thought. But just very, just in disbelief, shock, and frustration with what, and with what James Dolan did finally now for the first time in a while. After he, he screws the Knicks, always involved there, left the Rangers alone, model franchise, doing the right thing for the most part. Now he makes his presence known, and it is a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. We'll talk positive, though. John Means, pitchers, uh, pitcher for the Rose SA, threw a no-hitter. Struck out 12 Mariners. And this is crazy. Third, now this is the third official, official no-hitter of the 2020 season. If you remember, the, to me there's really four, because Madison Bumgarner threw a no-hitter, but it was because it was doubleheaders, only seven innings. Said, so oh, it doesn't count officially. So three official no-hitters in the books for Major League Baseball in 2020. Quickest to get three no-hitters since 1969. This highlights how far further ahead, I should say, the pitching is in the hitting. The hitting is down with almost every team. I see it with the Mets. My, oh, Mets. I see it with them every, every night, unfortunately. But all across baseball, team batting average, player batting average, runs per game, Things are trending down now. Hopefully, with the warm weather coming, you know, I'm looking outside. It's a gorgeous day. It's going to be about 65 degrees today. Hopefully, with the weather warming up, the ball's going to be jumping out of the parks more. The, the, the platter, the batter's going to be more comfortable, and we'll start getting more offense. But the pitching has been the story the first month, month and a half so far of the baseball season. Incredible. Speaking of baseball, we will end on a negative here. Angel Hernandez. This clown is at it again. So in case you missed it, he is umpiring right now the Indians Royals series this week in Cleveland. Oh, sorry, in Kansas City. The other night, Tuesday night, there was a ball in the gap, hit. Angel Hernandez is kind of running to the outfield. He's the guy that's going to say caught, you know, or hey, base hit. The ball falls in between two outfielders. Angel Hernandez admits he lost the ball, 
and guessed what the call was. He called out. Now, the ball wasn't caught. The two Indians players, you know, picked the ball at the bounce, throw it in. Well, he calls out. The Royals base runners like, okay, it's a fly ball out. Now, they're scrambling. It's a total CF because you have the Indians players thinking, hey, the ball, the ball dropped. It's, it's a base hit. You have Adrian Hernandez calling out. So the Royals players think the ball, you know, the ball is caught. And after the game, Angel Hernandez, after all this mix-up, goes, yeah, basically, I guessed. I lost the ball, so I guessed. This guy, I'm telling you, I could do we could do a show every every day about him because he's just awful. It, I I just cannot comprehend how he still has a job. We I mean, it's every night. Every week, this guy's name is trending on social media for one reason or another. Whether it's awful ball strike calls, whether it's guessing of of whether the ball was caught or not. Last night he called a balk that was questionable. The Royals pitching coach ejected. Mike Matheny, the Royals manager, ejected. The pitcher after he was taken out, ejected. This guy is honestly embarrassing the game of baseball on a nightly basis. Terry McCone, to put it perfectly, the Indians manager goes, how does this always happen? Why is there always controversy every time you're working a game? Easy, Terry. You know the answer. You can't say it. We all know the answer. This guy's the worst. He's horrible at his job. I mean, think about it. This guy is so bad at his job, and he is so delusional, so out of touch with reality, that he tried to sue Major League Baseball to say, hey, the reason why I haven't been able to work World Series games is because of my ethnicity and my race, not because of my skills. And obviously, he lost that in court. Like, just the worst, the absolute worst. So I want to get that off my chest. We will come back quickly here on the Ryan Hickey Show. We do come back two minutes. I promise, two minutes. Matt McGloin joined us an hour ago. I asked him, how much power do quarterbacks deserve in the NFL? Would you choose Brian Gutekunst or Aaron Rodgers? Matt gave a fascinating answer. We'll, we'll discuss that next when the Ryan Hickey Show does return on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show, wrapping up on a Thursday morning, going until 11 a.m. Eastern with you right here, of course, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If you're just tuning in, welcome. We're here every Monday and Thursday at 9 a.m. to 11 a.m on the Worldwide Sports Right Network. And in case you missed it, so an hour ago, we were joined by Matt McGloin, former NFL quarterback himself, played in the league, kind of know what it's like. And I was curious, and I'm very glad Matt was able to join us because this is a guy, look, who played the position of quarterback. He knows what it takes to win. He knows kind of what the locker room dynamics are. So I was asking him, hey, the biggest news of the week has been Aaron Rodgers and his frustration. But he's not the only one, as we know. He's not the only quarterback to speak out about his frustrations with the organization. Uh, Deshaun Watson did the same thing with the Texans. Russell Wilson did the same thing with the Seahawks. Now, maybe the only one going to get traded this offseason could be Rodgers, but all three have voiced their frustration within the organization because their voice wasn't heard. And Matt McGloin said, yeah, these guys should be frustrated because these guys deserve to have their voice heard. And I'm totally with Matt. 
And I thought Matt made a great point as well because he said, look, it's not for every quarterback, right? Just because you're the quarterback doesn't mean that you get to call the shots. So if you are, let's say, hmm, Andy Dalton in Chicago or Ryan Fitzpatrick in Washington or even Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, just because you are the quarterback doesn't give you the right, doesn't give you the power to say, hey, Howie Roseman, hey, Ryan Pace, let's do this, this, and this. I want this player here. We got to do this scheme. No, no, no. The players who get that power, to me, are like the superstars in the NBA. LeBron, Giannis, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. When you are the elite of the elite, the great of the great that have done it, you deserve to have your voice heard because as we know, those teams, if they want to win, their best chance is with you, with Aaron Rodgers, with Russell Wilson, with Deshaun Watson, with Patrick Mahomes. So to me, it doesn't make any sense for these teams not to listen to their star quarterback when they're talking. Again, we just saw it happen in Tampa Bay. I feel like it's common sense. But we saw Tom Brady go to Tampa Bay. We saw Tom Brady, Jason Light, the general manager, and Bruce Arians, the head coach, all three of them work together in concert on schemes, on drafting players, on signing free agents. And guess what? They went to the damn Super Bowl and won it. So it doesn't, to me, make any sense why the Packers wouldn't listen to Aaron Rodgers, why the Seahawks would go against scheme-wise what Russell Wilson wants to run, and why the Texans would flat-out ignore what Deshaun Watson has to say. That's a losing mentality. Matt McGloin agreed. I think so as well. And it's also fascinating now because it's, now it's, according to reports at least, it is going to be one or the other in terms of Green Bay. Either Aaron Rodgers is going to return to the Packers and Brian Gutekunst is going to get fired, or Goody's going to stay, Rodgers is going to get traded or sit out. I personally, we started the show with this, in case you missed it, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Any, first of all, you want to chime in here last second, no problem. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show as well. Brian Mayberry, my guy, Burn, tweets into the show earlier. He agrees that I think Aaron Rodgers is going to sit out. He says he'll host Jeopardy 100% and sit out the 2021 season. So, it seems like it's going to be one or the other. Either Rodgers is going to be in Green Bay and Gutekunst is in, or the GM is going to stay, the quarterback is going to get chipped out. So, hey, Matt, you know the importance of the quarterback position. Who would you take? He took Aaron Rodgers. It was funny because he was almost laughing at the question because it sounds ridiculous. Why wouldn't you take the quarterback? Why would you put your eggs in the basket of Brian Gutekunst, who really has, you know, has done a nice job in player development over the last few years, but is he the Aaron Rodgers of GMs? No. Did he put the Packers in this mess where now they have to decide basically, hey, we have to ship our quarterback out way earlier than we thought or hit the eject button on getting our replacement for Aaron Rodgers ready and get rid of Jordan Love. Yeah, it's easy. I'll go with the MVP of the league. I'll go with a guy that gives you the best chance to win a Super Bowl still on a roster that is ready to win a Super Bowl. You take the quarterback. You side with the quarterback, in this case to me, every single time. And I think it's interesting because, hey, this is a guy who played the quarterback. He knows not only the dynamics of the team, he also knows the dynamics of the front office as well. And he said, hey, Listen, the GM's not on the field. He's important in picking the players. He's important to, you know, putting the roster together. But when it comes down to it, 
if the ultimatum is true, if the reports are true, with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports saying, Aaron Rodgers will only return to Green Bay if Brian Gutekunst is fired. Basically, he's telling the Packers, it's me or him. The Packers better wise up and realize, hey, we are taking Aaron Rodgers every single time. This guy could still win us a Super Bowl. And guess what? If you get number two, if Rodgers lifts the Lombardi Trophy this year or next year or maybe even 2023, you know what people are forgetting about? You know what people aren't as upset about? You know what people aren't caring about? Jordan Love. And either the disaster pick that it was or now how the Packers basically have no plan for the future. Winning cures all. So if you're the Packers, it makes total sense to side with the quarterback. And I will say this finally here before we do get out of here on the Worldwide Sports Right Network. When it comes to Aaron Rodgers and what he's going to do, we played you for you earlier, Brett Favre, basically saying that he thinks Aaron Rodgers, if he's not traded, will sit out. He thinks Aaron Rodgers, if the Packers don't, or think he's bluffing and say, we're not going to trade you, you're going to be our guy. He thinks Aaron Rodgers will sit out, and I agree with Brett Favre. Joe Deluisio, our guy from the Sharp Cheddar Podcast, he joined us to react to the Rodgers news on Monday's show, in case you missed that. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, we have the interview there. You can go check it out with Joe Deluisio. Very talented guy himself. Big Packers fan. Also, again, host of the Sharp Chatter Podcast. He, to me, was the first person I heard that truly did believe Rodgers could sit out. Had me thinking. Hmm. Looking kind of at Rodgers with his family history, not talking to them. Kind of being a different cat than we're used to kind of seeing with athletes in 2020. Beating to his own drum, if you will. Then you hear Brett Favre yesterday on his podcast. But say, yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers, knowing him the way I do, I think he'll sit out. I think those two guys, Joe DeLuisio, Brett Favre, probably the only time Joe's going to have his name in, mentioned with Brett Favre, those two guys are right. I'm believing now that if the Packers don't trade Rodgers, he's not playing for the Packers in 2020. If Brian Gutekunst is still there, if Jordan Love is still there, if a new contract has been hammered out. If things stay the way they are right now, which is the contract is very easy for the Packers to get rid of, for Rodgers-wise, without having a lot of dead money in their cap. Aaron, uh, Jordan Love's still on the team. Brian Gutekunst is still the general manager. And they don't trade Rodgers this year. They keep him on the roster. I don't think he's going to be playing. I really don't. This is a guy that, to me, it's not about winning. It's not about money. This is about revenge. This is about trying to extract revenge, trying to embarrass an organization that embarrassed him this time last year. All season long, he played, you know, good cop. He played the nice guy. It was all a setup for this moment. He was setting it up to when the bomb was dropped, when the leak went to Adam Schefter that he wants out of Green Bay, the whole NFL world would explode. It's not a coincidence it happened on draft night. One year ago, when the Packers embarrassed him by not only drafting Jordan Love, training up to do so, and, oh yeah, by the way, not telling Aaron Rodgers they were doing that. This is about revenge. He wants to embarrass the organization in a way that they embarrassed him and maybe even embarrassed them more than they embarrassed him. So that's why I don't think he's, there's no shot of him to me playing with the Packers if things stay the way they are right now. Because him playing without a new deal, with Brian Gutekunst still the general manager, with Jordan Love still the backup, basically, again, to me, double embarrasses Aaron Rodgers because he made this big proclamation, he made this big, you know, big spectacle 
and then didn't back it up. Then went back on his word. This is about pride. This is about revenge. This isn't about winning a Super Bowl in 2021. This isn't about trying to get new, you know, be the highest paid quarterback. To me, this is, this screams revenge. You hurt me. I'm going to hurt you even worse. So that's why I think to me, anything that makes the Packers look better. If everything stays the way it is and Aaron Rodgers plays in 2021, Packers don't look bad. They actually get what they want. They want Rodgers to play one more year. Then they're going to move on from him. So Aaron Rodgers coming back to play in 2021 with the same deal with Brian Gutekunst, with Jordan Love, would be giving the Packers exactly what they want. And I don't see that happening. So that's what we started the show with. Brett Favre says he'll sit out. Joe DeLuisio thinks he'll sit out. I think he sits out, if not traded. So we'll see how this plays out. It's going to be fascinating to see. We won't see a trade most likely until at least June 1st, because that's when money-wise it makes sense for the Packers to do so. So this is going to be a wild next month or so to see how this develops and goes forward. So that will do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. Really appreciate Matt McGuinn for coming on and giving us a few minutes here talking quarterbacks in the draft, also talking Aaron Rodgers. Appreciate it for all you guys listening, tuning in, hopefully starting your Thursday and starting it in a bright way with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Right Network. Enjoy your weekend. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay sane, and we will talk to you on Monday, as you always do, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.